This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. McDelivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with McDelivery. So the only thing left to say is, you win. Order now on the McDonald's app. You can also get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus. Rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Back of the Nest. Match Review Podcast. www.backofthenest.com Hello and welcome to the Back of the Nest Review Show. I am Chris Hambling and I will be your guide through our look back at the 2-2 draw away to Arsenal. Palace started poorly, conceding their first set-piece goals of the season, like a team who had all simultaneously got hair gel in their eyes because of the rain. Socrates, the chunky defender, not the Brazilian maestro or the ancient Greek philosopher, capitalised first as the defence played statues whilst Wayne Hennessy did a confusing little crab dance. Before the Palace had a chance to recover, it was two, as one of the two on-field David Luiz's poked the ball home at the far post after a near-post flick-on had the Palace defence mystified. As has happened many a time, Palace got back into the game through the power, skill and pace of Wilfred Zaha. Callum Chambers clumsily hacked Wilf down in the area and fortunately VAR was on hand to point out to Martin Atkinson that you're supposed to referee based on the incident and not your preconceptions. Early in the second half, the Ghanaian Messi headed in from an actual cross into the box to draw the Eagles level in a much improved second half display. Late far drama arrived in hilarious form as Arsenal were denied a late winner before the other David Luiz rugby tackled Wolf to the ground. A hugely entertaining game. Reviews, predictions, comments and rants. Send us your voice clips on WhatsApp. 0203 575 1266. Right, it's talk to the panel time. First up is Mr. Patrick O'Connor. Hello, Patrick. Hello, Hambo. How are you today? I'm all right until I had to read that introduction um, to the show. Uh, obviously, when the listeners hear it back, uh, Sam had done a cracking job in making it sound sort of vaguely connected. But I had some trouble there, didn't I? Um, anyway, you? <laughs> I enjoyed listening to you do it back for 10 minutes, so don't worry about it. Yeah, good. Good. It's important. We, you know, the show is going to be a little bit shorter this week because of the uh, the lack of time we have to record it. So I thought I'd mess it up for about 15 minutes at the start just to make it, you know, really, really pressured. Anyway, good to have you on, mate. And we're also joined by Mr. Mike Scott. Hello, everyone. Hmm. And I'm assuming that includes me. So hello. Um, so I mean, obviously, you went to the game with with Chris Clark, who was going to join us, were it not for the complicated timetables of trams. Um, but also, um, yeah, you, you also won the uh, advertised link up with Who Knows Wins. If you didn't hear that ad, which you should have done because it was on the preview show, I'm sure you all listened to that because you should. Um, we um yeah we linked up with the the company who knows wins fantastic app really enjoyed it um social social gambling so if you don't like gambling or you're not uh, don't have any free cash certainly don't get involved but if it's something that you're you're interested in and you want to bypass the bookie um it's a fantastic little app and we uh, set up a league on that a 5 pound entry winner takes 70% and then there's some money for placings and you won didn't you mike I didn't actually notice I'd won until um, I think I was on the, the train back to Croydon. Um, and it was, I mean, it was a nice bonus. It paid for a few of the, the beers yesterday uh, before the Emirates during and after. Um, 
but uh, yeah, it was it was definitely less important than the game. Um, it was yeah, it was great. The few people joined it. Um, I think maybe we'll need to drop the money down a little bit because not everyone's got a spare fiver to to, to start pissing away. Um, and the other thing was, I, I was actually leading the um, back of the NFC for six until recently as well, but I forgot to enter one week and now I'm behind about five other people. Um, so, yeah, I must be pretty lucky this season with the old betting, I think. Yeah, yeah. Well, it was um, yeah, an interesting set of results. I was doing all right at first on it, but um, but drifted away. But, uh, yeah, well, congratulations, Mike. Um, and who knows, we'll probably do a fair few more um, leagues throughout the course of the season. Uh, so if it's something you're interested in, keep an eye out and we'll, we'll stick some links out and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, enjoyable, enjoyable it was. And I'm not just saying that because we advertised them. We you know we only had to advertise them once. We didn't have to talk about it today. And I I thought it was a nice alternative to the standard chucking my money down the drain at the uh, at the bookies. So, but yeah, if we can make it a bit cheaper, we certainly will for more people to get involved. Um, so like I'm um, not going to get to much in the way of listener contact this week, but for future weeks, obviously want to mention. We're on social media um, at Back of the Nest on pretty much everything. But if you, you're not on any of those things, you want to email us, uh, chuck an email over to hi at backofthenest.com. Um, and obviously, if you can get to, uh, if you haven't done so already anyway, please uh, vote us five stars on your chosen podcast app. Give us a nice review because it really does help spread the word. And that's all we want to do. We want more and more people to listen to what we do. So thank you very much. So let's get into the game discussion for our first topic. So we've obviously heard the summary in my um, my fantastic introduction. But I think the, probably the main discussion really has got to be around the lineup, gents, because obviously with, with uh, Vicente Guaita still out injured, um, Wayne uh, Hennessy retained his place in goal. But we saw Townsend return and, we, and we've seen Jeffrey Schlupp lose his place, which I think a lot of people got in touch to say, that they're incredibly surprised at that happening. So, I mean, I think he, he did have a poor game against City. That There's no doubt in that and, and being hauled off at half-time, I think perhaps told a story there. But I have to say, I'm, I'm surprised that Roy went with that, given you know how much he, he relies on you know Schlupp to, to keep the, the, the shape and deflend, <laughs> deflend, defend. So, I mean, I'll start with you actually, Mike, on that. What did you think about that decision and, and, and how much of a surprise was it? I didn't find it that much of a surprise um, because I thought that we didn't have enough of an outlet um, last week. So, um, I mean, to me, it's the right decision. Um, and I think he was vindicated um, during the game as well. Um, I think we were pretty roundly positive um, about Man City last week and and Roy doing everything he could, um, but I think maybe the one the one comment we had was that it did feel like perhaps Andros was was a better choice. Um, although we have said earlier in the season that he, he looked like a bit of a super sub, um, I, I was fine with. I was very happy. Obviously, a bit disappointed that Guaita wasn't back and fit. Um, but I, I don't think anyone in and around the grounds and, and in the pub beforehand was too upset. Um, and just on that. Um, I take full responsibility for not getting a load of listener content today because we did slightly overindulge. I kept up with Chris Clark on the beer front and then I forgot to ask people their thoughts on our social media. So that's on me. Mate, it's Sunday games. They throw everything yeah. out. It's just, yeah. it's not, you don't get that extra little bit of time to sort stuff out ahead of the show. You just, like you say, you wake up and you're like, oh God, I've got to go to work. I don't know what the hell's going on. Um, you know, Chris Clark is a beer monster. That's an absolute fact. So. But there we go, Patrick, over to you, really. I mean, obviously, I, I, I don't know if you necessarily agree with this, but I had a thought today that Jeffrey Schlupp actually manages to be the most underrated and potentially overrated player at Palace at the same time. That was my thought this morning. Yeah, um, again, I, I, I've never really had an issue with him playing or not playing, but that comment you just made is actually interesting. Perhaps he is, I mean... I feel that he does the this is the thing. Um Hodgson is, is an interesting manager. I think he has I'm not gonna say he favorites, but he has a way of of playing and certain players kind of fit into his system. I think Schlepp's the perfect person for him because 
you mentioned it, you know, I'd nose him in the past that you know, he can play center, he can play wide, he can drop back a little bit, he can defend a little bit, he can get forward. I mean, remember that the man you go and he flicked it on for IU to score. So he's very, very adaptable. I think if Roy had his choice, all 11 players, maybe all 10 beside the keeper, would be that kind of a player you can, you know, adapt and change. But I was quite surprised that he dropped him yesterday. Um, I think it was a good decision based on the way that Arsenal play. If you look at the way Arsenal play, they started Tierney yesterday. Tierney likes to get forward. So they like to put their and Chambers also. They like to put their their fullbacks press forward. So you need to have an outlet. And I think Townsend and Wilf are better outlets than Wilf and, let's say, Schlupp or Wilf and Macca, even though Macca did a great job on that second goal with the cross. So I think uh, credit to Hodgson. He did a great job of kind of uh, looking at the situation, looking at what we're playing and kind of playing to our strength as opposed to trying to uh, stop uh the opposition's uh, strength. The thing, again, with the Hennessy is that, and I'm not going to bang on about it, it's just that I personally just have a really hard time watching him in goal. We've had discussion before, Chris, about the importance of the goalkeeper, and, I, and I'll and i say it again. I just think that Guaita is just so much more confident back there uh, as a team. Uh, we are. Uh, those first two goals on set pieces, I know that Arsenal had 12 corners. I felt like they had 50 corners, by the way. The way it felt, I was behind the couch every time they took a corner. I was so afraid of another goal going in but quite a, even though Spanish goal, goalies aren't necessarily like tough in the he come he just he commands the box ball would be more aggressive and I just find Wayne to be just so passive it just is it's hard so I understand he's injured but I really can't wait for Guay to be back in there just for again for my own mental state I, I don't want to bang on about my mental state was really bad yesterday <laughs> yeah I, I know I, I saw, saw a fair bit of that on social media and I'm not going to dwell on it too much either that we've you know we've talked as much as we can possibly talk about Wayne the, the bottom line is that if Guay is not in the squad available to play you know he is currently the second choice keeper um and you know he's certainly capable of making saves but you're absolutely right and, and so many said it you know not just you know people on the, on, on our show but so much of, of palace social media were talking about how it really just looks like the confidence and organization goes out of the out of the defense um unfortunately when wayne's in there that could be because most of them haven't played with Wayne for any length of time. You think about, you know, Cahill in particular uh, hasn't spent a huge amount of time uh, with Wayne Hennessy as a keeper behind him. So there's going to be issues there, but you know, as, as we'll get into when we analyze the goals, it, it, there was certainly uncertainty at the back. I am always happy when they wheel out Luca to do um, post-match chat on Palace TV. And he said something um, that shocked me until I thought about it. Um, and he said that at no point this season um, have they conceded from a corner. Um, and now they conceded twice in five minutes or whatever it was with Hennessy there. And I think that stat speaks more volumes than any amount. I, I don't really want us to get onto negative stuff as soon as we've started the pod. Um, so I'm glad I'm glad <laughs> that you had a nice monologue at the beginning because we're, we're piling straight into it and people keep saying we're negative um but that that was a really interesting point from Luca, and it, i think that just says more than any amount of scrutiny we can give yeah mike a uh, great point by the way it's 106 seconds between the goals that was it 106 seconds i'm just saying i'm not just saying the stats don't really lie but yeah no, it was disappointing. And when you actually look at how the game unfolded after that and, and what a tremendous effort that, that Palace put in to get back into the game, um, it just makes you wonder, well, hang on a second, if we could defend those two corners properly, what, what was that, what was there for us? You know, and Arsenal have been struggling. There's quite a poisonous atmosphere generated there uh, at the moment, which we'll talk about a little bit later on. But it's also, you know, you kind of come away with it thinking we were 2-0 down. What a fantastic point that is. And a point away to Arsenal has always got to be a good point. But then you can't help but think that this little bit in your head goes, well, actually, was it was it two points dropped? Um, but it's nice to be thinking like that, I have to say. So um, going back, talking about the first half in general, really. I mean, I, I wasn't too impressed with this first half. Um, other than, you know, obviously the terrible defending from the two corners, we didn't, we didn't look that much under threat, but I have to say there just seemed to be something off, something up. And, and I wonder what perhaps it was that we changed at half time. Was it just an attitude because of the fact we got back into the game from, from Wolves penalty? But I mean, really the question I've got for you gents and, and I'll sort of start to answer it myself before you jump in was what was our aim in that first half? What did we go out in that first half to try and do? And, and what more importantly, I think, how are we planning on, on creating anything at all? What I, I found is, and we, we've seen it a few times with 
certainly when we play some of the better teams, it's very hard to negate the opposition and set yourself up perfectly for for either a break or or you know for for a system of sort of generating some possession. But we had an odd amount of possession in the first half, considering how how poor I felt we played. I think we actually shaded possession in the first half. I might be wrong on that, but I'm sure I heard it was fifty three percent to us first half, um, which changed in the second when we actually looked more dangerous. But I think you know we appeared to try and, and play our way out of defence, and then you know at the point where Arsenal closed us down, we'd give up and punt it forward. And it was just so that just a little bit disjointed. So I think a lot of the pressure we got in the first half was kind of self-generated. As it is with Arsenal, um, you go 2-0 down that quickly and obviously all of the game plan is out the window. Um, but then usually when we've gone 2-0 down to a side, it's because they're very good and that, you know, we end up 3-4 down and the second half tends to be um, nullified uh, as it was against Spurs when they beat us. 4-0 earlier in the season. But the difference with Arsenal is they have this kind of amazing ability to just do something good and then shoot themselves in the foot straight afterwards. So um, I think the Palace players w- were in this kind of no-man's land of, of not knowing um, really what to do. When they were 2-0 down, um, a team that should have been stamping on their collective throats were just not doing that. And, you know, you, you, you're you not going to have a game plan from the manager to deal with that because... Let's be honest. There's no other team in in the Premier League, or probably in the world, that would offer you that kind of that kind of game. So I'm not surprised they didn't know what to do. No, that's a really good point. I hadn't thought of it like that. And I suppose yeah, their their kind of passive nature to the game after going two 0 up was it was slightly odd to see. Um, but I think it's really clear when you talk about that that one of the biggest changes at half time was we came up with so much more fight. Um, you know, some real aggression before we even before we scored the second goal. You know, I thought it was pretty impressive and exactly how you need to play uh, against Arsenal because they they are whether they want to admit it or not, they are pretty soft when you get at them. Um, and it was good to see us doing that. Um, Patrick, I don't know if, uh, if you've you know, I know you're you're a man who looks at tactics and you're looks at setups. I don't know how much you've noticed around Roy's. It was, it was talked about in the game. I talked about it a little last week that there's been a sort of shift in the formation and it's kind of just almost been slightly organic because I, I thought we'd gone from a 4-4-2 to switch to a 4-3-3 and you'd had Jeffrey Schlupp and, and Wilf Zaha playing in, in the sort of the wide forward places. But it's been sort of noted of late that it actually looks like more of a 4-1-4-1. So you have obviously Lucas screening in front of a back four and then IU at the top and then the four players kind of lined up behind him and it actually looked much more like that. Uh, yesterday but for me I think that brings the the wide players you know in this particular game Townsend and Zaha it does bring them quite deep so you know you have to really rely on them to do a a tremendous amount of work to get up and down the field to actually have any real attacking intent in a game. Yeah um, I pointed out a few weeks ago that I've noticed that especially Wolf Wolf's been a lot more both wide and defensively helping out and I think that's really helped Van Aanholt uh, with some of his issues. But again, I think that's what one of the reasons why I think we started Townsend because we wanted to use that 4 1 4 and get, um, as opposed to having Van Arnold and Ward uh, get forward. Because you kind of, like I said, you have to negate um, Tierney and Chambers getting forward. You you have Wolf and Townsend wide. And then uh, at points you saw, again, like with the goal with Macca getting wide. So I think that he saw that as an opportunity to kind of use that counter attack and the, the players that can. You know, break a defense down more with Townsend and, and Zaha yesterday. So I think that's a great point with the four one four, four one four one. I also want to credit to Ayu the way he plays. By the way, is so so important to how well we're doing this season. I just find that his work rate is incredible. People talk about defending from the front. I think the reason why we've been better defensively is because Ayu works his socks off, which is why by seventy five minutes he doesn't want to come off, but he's got to be exhausted. He runs, he works so hard, and I think that's. One of the keys to how we set up a game, they talk about Roy having you know certain favorites. Are you is so key to the way we play, and the fact that he chips in goals on top of that, which we'll get into, is is amazing. Uh, so Roy's setup is interesting, but again, that four one four one definitely to me works better if you've got Townsend and Will as the wide players to kind of you know help out and support. Um, are you up front? Definitely, I think it's it's an interesting shift, and I don't know how how it's come about really. 
Um, but it's very pleasing from you know first couple of games of the season where I, I didn't think we were up to much. Um, it, it seems to have sort of come out off the back of that, and it's you know it's very very encouraging to see that that level of thought and that level of change. And, and as you say, having uh, Townsend in that position, and he worked incredibly hard yesterday as well. I say yesterday at the time of recording, you know, when you're listening to this. But he did. He, he worked, you know, incredibly hard and, and was was extremely important. But none more so on that sense than are you. You're absolutely right. Um, and he's he's just become a massive fan's favourite now. And I, I, you know, I'm I'm so so happy about that because I mean, lots of people gave gave uh, the club stick for signing him in the first place after last season. You know, I, I, I am slightly smug that I was one of the few who said it's great business. Um, but I never thought we'd uh, we'd be talking about him like we're talking about him now. He's just that effort, and I've always said Palace love a trier. They absolutely love a, a, a forward who gives everything, uh, and that's how he's done it. That's how he's won people round. But obviously, as you say, Patrick scoring a few goals doesn't uh, doesn't do any harm either. George and I on social media is the gift that keeps on giving. His name, ev- everything is so good, um, and earlier. Uh, today, um, Paddy Power uh, is here. Brothers, classic, boom, boom, boom. Um, to the, uh, to the, and added the words Jordan Ayew at the end. Uh, boom, boom, boom. Let me hear you say Ayew. Um, and I put it on. What a legend! I, just, <laughs> I reckon if we just had posts about him for, till the end of time, it would still mean that Twitter was worthwhile. <laughs> Absolutely right, and let's not forget PVA's tweet as well with the in response to an Arsenal fan with a picture of Jordan Ayew and the uh, the meme which says "Why are you so Amazing. salty?" Brilliant! Um, I was, was extremely. I mean, yeah, you've got to love PVA for that. <laughs> anyway, let's do the unfortunate thing of having to analyse. Um, well, we got we get to analyse four goals, but two of them, are, uh, the first two, obviously, are quite annoying. So let's push on. <clears throat> Excuse me. So we did try and play our way out of uh, out of the back. Um, so Wilf's knocked the ball back to MacArthur. MacArthur ends up running the wrong way and, and under pressure from Pepe runs the ball out for a corner. It's Pepe who takes that corner himself and, and Hennessy comes out, attempts a punch around the edge of the six-yard box, just totally misses it um, and ends up bouncing off the sort of back of Xhaka's uh, neck loops up and at that point everybody's standing still Wayne's having a little bit of a snooze down on the ground and you've got the ball falling to Cahill now Cahill has been fantastic for us this season an absolutely fantastic central defender however it is a terribly poor header that uh, he put straight back into the danger area actually right back onto the head of Jacker who it came off originally he knocks it wide to Socrates and uh, you know at that moment it's genuinely like someone's got a, a magic remote control well, they've just hit pause on the entire Palace defence, apart from Hennessy, who's channeling that inner Sebastian the Crab and just sort of does this weird sort of sidestep as Socrates smacks the ball into essentially what is an unguarded net. And at the end of my notes there, I've just I've written the word shite. Um, anyone got any further comments on that? Standing right behind it, um, about as close as away fans could be from a reasonable angle, and it, it was depressing. Um, I didn't see from that angle, I watched it back, um, quite how far Hennessy was away from the ball. I mean, I can't understand how you're going to punch, you can miss it by, what, three, four foot? I mean, incredible. And what annoys me most, Pepe's going to get a fucking assist for that, isn't he? That's that's what really annoys me. So the stats are going to be pulled out in a few weeks' time, how he's got as many assists as Zaha. Um, and I was really happy yesterday when he was getting the chant, you're just a shit Wilfred Zaha from us for about 20 minutes at the end of the game. Yeah, I'm not I'm not giving him an assist on that, Mike. If you were to watch it again, it must have hit five players before it goes in the back of the net. Yeah. You can get an assist just kicking the ball into a, into the box and the guy scores five minutes later and then he gets an assist. Um, I'm not going to go into the NSC part too much, but interesting is that on, on that corner, we had two players on the post. And if you look at the goal again... <laughs> I don't want to kill him, but PVA does a pretty awful job of trying to stop it. Listen, it's from close range. I get that. But he kind of like shies away from it. And if I remember, he's done that before. I don't remember a match. It was a match where there was another close in and then he shies away. But the funny thing, on the second goal, we took the player off the second post. And you notice that Luis scores us on the back post and we took a player off. So it's interesting how 
like we weren't sure how to defend it because again the first one we have two players on the post and on the second goal we have only one and that's PVA so at the near post so no, it's funny, you talk about him turning away from the ball. I think what didn't help was that Coyote did the exact same thing in front of him as well. That's exactly, so it double. Yeah, you got right. two of them who saw do the exact same movement slightly away from the ball, and it manages to go exactly into that gap, into the side of the net. So, I mean, it's, it's shocking all round, really. Um, but really, I just the thing I don't understand the most, you know, obviously we can talk about the aberration um, that the goalkeeper makes, but what... What really, but just I just find it so odd how static everyone went. It really was like everybody had just frozen and, and, and was completely unable to move. It's just an odd sense of panic when when something like that happens. It's almost as if they just weren't expecting the, you know, the Cahill header to, header to go back out into the middle. They were kind of thought, hold on a second, Gary Cahill's made a mistake. That doesn't that doesn't happen, uh, and it's kind of just frozen everyone's brain. But it just looks awful. The more you look at it, the worse it gets. I know our inference will, will instantly be that, um, you know, having Hennessy in goal breeds panic. Um, but it's interesting that the two games we've looked most shaky this season are the two where Cahill's been alongside, or two games where Cahill's been alongside Sacco and Tompkins. Um, so mm. I, I wonder, because we had mentioned before about whether having sort of two two alphas um, at, the, at the back had confused things or whether it's literally game time and, and you know dumping two new defenders together is, isn't necessarily going to work straight away no, That's a good point we, you know, we've talked about the fact that Cahill and Kelly has actually looked the best partnership this season um, you know, Kelly was obviously fit enough to get back on the bench but you know, you'd hope that that one or top, one of Tompkins or Sacco will be the the partner going forward for Gary Cahill. Um, the way things have gone, it just seems odd not to be thinking that we want Tompkins and Sacco as the first choice partnership again. And I don't want to overanalyze, but I'm looking at it again, and um, we definitely are man to man marking. But what I think is, once Hennessy comes and then kind of doesn't get up, that's when the chaos kind of begins. I mean, you're man for mark, and then you kind of lose your marker, and everything kind of happens. So. You know, we, we've talked in the past, Chris, about, you know, a zonal marking on corners versus uh, man-for-man. But we were definitely man-for-man markings. So like I said, I think once it keeps us down and we're trying to obviously compensate for that, which is fine because you do that, or, or, you know, it just it just, it just just gets chaotic. And I think that's what kind of was more that than come on. I think if he comes out and he punches it, great. But once he goes down on the ground, then we'll... And once we've lost our man, it just it's just it's all over for us. Yeah, you're right. I think it is that natural reaction to having your, your keeper lying on the floor when, when the opposition are in in possession of the ball, just waiting for that shot. And I think, you you know, if you look at it, there's probably five or, or six players back standing, sort of almost trying to block the goal, even though they're not on the line or anything. But I don't know, it just, it just looks so odd when you look at it. You're absolutely, you know, right. And as I said, the more the more you analyse it, the worse it gets, unfortunately. But I think, you know, we've, we've touched on every kind of possibility of, of what happened there. But unfortunately, it didn't get any better, did it? So, you know, as you said, 105 seconds later on, you know, Cahill's blocking Aubameyang out, knocks the ball out for a corner. Yet again, it's a, a Pepe in swinger. So this time, I, I do think we were a little unlucky because there is a, a fairly clear um, push from Lacazette onto MacArthur as the ball comes in. So, I mean, first of all, in terms of when I say fairly clear, it, it's certainly clearer than than any foul later on for a certain disallowed goal, which we'll talk about. But there's a, de- a definite push, and it's MacArthur who's reacting after the ball ends up in the net, gesturing to the referee that there's a push, but but nothing doing, no no VAR check on that. Well, the, assume there was a check, but they didn't didn't disallow the goal for it. So anyway, the the result of that push is that MacArthur is not able to challenge for the for the header at the at the near post. So Lacazette gets to flick it onto the back post, and then David Luiz, free at the back post, just knocks it into an, an unguarded net. And as you say, Patrick, no, no man on the post. Um, not too much else I can I can say about it, really. Yeah, I want to add that it's interesting that you know VAR checks things. I I just look Lacazette pushed him twice. <laughs> he pushes Maka twice. So I'm not again. I'm not going to get into VR because I'm actually a VAR advocate. But it's interesting if they did check it. He, he pushed him twice, and that led to a goal. So it's funny I didn't change it. And then I just want to go back to last year. Remember last year when Lacazette handled the ball? Was it last year or the year before? Actually, maybe. Uh, for one of the sort of a goal, um, and obviously with VAR they couldn't bring that back. It's kind of interesting that you know he's involved in another goal that scored controversially uh, against us. So just just throwing that out there. Yeah, definitely. I, I, it feels like it was last year, but who knows? Time goes so quickly these days, doesn't it? 
Yeah, I I think it was no. Yeah, because that was the, when Xhaka had the free kick. It was definitely yeah, it was last year's goal because two years ago I think we lost to them at home or maybe we drew them. Beat, no, we beat him. Well, whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> 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 you had that mental breakdown. Sorry, but no, that's fine. <laughs> but yeah, as I say, I don't think there's there's too much more we can add there other than you know to concede a second goal after considering your, your you know your first in a long long time from a set piece the immediate thought is you know who's who's briefed the team for these set pieces and why is it so bad but you know it did sort of almost feel you talk about the fact that we were man-to-man marking I think after the flick on it's quite clearly that everyone looks around wondering why they aren't marking their man you can see the look on Luca's face as the ball goes in the net he sort of starts pointing at um at Louise and then thinks actually probably that was me who's supposed to be with him and stops pointing so um yeah uh, a, a real poor showing again there it took the second goal for the Arsenal fans to pipe up at all to any great degree whatsoever. Um, and I think that had a little bit to do with um, galvanising us in, in a funny way because um, they got up for it. And then, as you said earlier, where they, they, they didn't push on, then their fans, I'm sure we'll come onto it later, started getting tetchy and... and um, you know, starting slagging their own players off again. Um, but it, it was weird. There was there was hardly any singing until that second goal went in. And at that point, they seemed to think, OK, we might actually win this game. Uh, but they didn't seem sure of themselves before that. No, and that's, I mean, as you say, we will talk more about, you know, the Arsenal support and a few things that happened around that a little bit later on. But it is, it is you know, it does sum, sum, sum them up as a as a sort of fan base, really, when... It takes being two 0 up in a game for, they, for them to actually start getting getting behind their team, um, and even then it, it quickly turns to negativity. Hmm. We'll certainly come back to that. So anyway, look, we're two 0 down, and what's I suppose you got to say is pleasing about the, the first half, although it wasn't great. We we did get our composure back um, eventually. You know, it'd be very very easy to completely lose it after conceding a couple of quick goals. You know, we we did the same thing against Tottenham, lost it completely, and we're four 0 down very quickly. And of course, you only have to look at the Leicester versus Southampton game to see what can really happen if you completely lose your mind um, in in a Premier League match. So it's pleasing that that didn't happen, as Mike has suggested. You know, some of that is because of the way Arsenal played, but we got our composure back. We started becoming much more of a a threat going forward, you know, got more of the ball. And, but I think, you know, the, the goal, the penalty came almost out of nothing, really. You know, the ball goes to Luca, who I'm told doesn't play any forward passes. Mr. Nick Gillard tells me that. But Luca plays an absolutely brilliant <laughs> forward pass um, to the to the feet of Wilf. Not much support up there with him, but as Wilf does and has done for us for a, for a number of years, it doesn't always need support up there, so just drives at the area. And you watch it, and clearly Callum Chambers has, has made a very poor late challenge, as as he has done in the past, um, many many occasions. <laughs> not not the best of defenders, I don't think one on one. And and Wilf's quite clearly hacked down. He doesn't start falling over until the contact's made with his upper thigh. Um, on the you know on his right leg, so you can see the con- that's where the contact's initiated. Then he, because he's running at pace, he goes up in the air, falls over, clear penalty. But we see Martin Atkinson almost cannot wait. He cannot wait to run over there and and give the foul against Will from booking for diving. And it's just bizarre, absolutely bizarre to watch. But as I've described it in my notes, our player of the season so far, which is VAR, um, it steps in to put it right and Luca Luca scores the penalty. But you know, Mike is you know, should should VAR have to actually step in there? And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable. Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. 
Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. Away days are great, but there's nothing quite like playing at home. The same goes for McDonald's. Maximise your home ground advantage with McDelivery. You in? Order now on the McDonald's app. At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Oh, I mean, Martin Atkinson was an absolute tit. I mean, he was, he had, that's, I, that is the worst refereeing performance a, a game I've seen this season. And there's been a couple of absolute shockers. So he's done well to take that record. Um, let's go back to the, the leak a bit, first of all. Obviously, didn't notice this watching the game first off. But if you watch your back, um, he ha- he puts his arms out as if to say, "I have no one to pass the ball to right now." That's when he launches that beautiful sixty seventy yard ball. But before that, he was looking to play a short ball and just was saying to his teammates, "I've got no one to pass to." So maybe that that sort of goes back to what you were saying about we didn't necessarily have that many options in the first half. Um, absolutely great ball. I think it underlines the frailties of Arsenal that um, got it and, and made something out of it so easily. Um, definitely, it was a penalty. Um, you know, all the Arsenal fans screaming, oh, same old Zaha always cheating and stuff. So it was so good for it to be overturned. It was much better that it was overturned than he just gave the penalty in the first place. Um, it, that was nearly as satisfying as the, the third goal being disallowed. Yeah, and that... I watch Arsenal TV after because I, I really love watching it win, lose or draw. But when they lose a match, it's actually comedy. I spent five hours last night watching it. Don't don't judge me. <laughs> but but honestly, even they said that because I, I get panicked behind with they, they said they even said when they first saw it that it was they thought it was a penalty right away. And they were actually surprised that it was given as a dive. And, and this is why I like VAR and I I do agree that the the laws have to be changed for handball and that kind of stuff. But Wolf has such a reputation as being a diver, and that is why Atkinson gave that as a dive and gave him a yellow card. And had the VAR not been around, and at minute match match they would have said, "Oh yeah, he dived." Even if they'd seen it over, they would have said, "No, he dived." But now with VAR reversing it, now people have to actually look at it and say, "You know what?" Callum Chambers clipped him. It was obvious. So for every reason, Atkinson had a preconceived notion about the player, etc. I am so glad that Wilf is going to be vindicated because of that, because that is an absolute joke. When I saw it first time, I knew it was a penalty. I was sure, I was quick to get onto social media and 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 put that video on that it was a clear penalty before they changed the, they changed it. It's a joke, and I'm really glad, like I said, because he has an agenda against him. And I know matches day, I, don't, I didn't get to watch it, but I heard that they didn't. They kind of glossed over it. Ian Wright tried to bring it up, but they kind of glossed over it last night. Match day two, they didn't really talk about the that penalty oh but the kid gets a really bad reputation i'm really glad he got overturned because it, he is a really good player and he's got a re- he deserves he deserves more and var as again vindicated him yesterday no you're absolutely right Ian right did try to bring it up and was kind of talked over um it was kind of kind of pushed to one side but you know there's all sorts of things that people could say about why that preconception is there but but you know ultimately the main focus i guess has got to be that, that it's a reputation but when it's what's frustrating is it's a reputation he doesn't deserve you know we we all know that there are some players who do look for contact and there are some players who play in a certain way where they're trying to anticipate fouls and all that kind of stuff Harry Kane yeah there we go yeah so <laughs> and and it's a, it's a it's a line that people walk and sometimes they get it wrong and you know it's not great for the game but you know it's it's almost part of football but um, out and out cheating, I've got no time for. But like I say, there is that kind of line that people walk. There's a suggestion that, you know, Wilf might walk that line sometimes. And perhaps he does walk that line sometimes when he's trying to draw a foul. But I, I would say out and out, he's. I don't believe he's ever dived, in, as in cheated, and, and tried to win a foul when there's been no contact. I don't believe that's ever happened. And anyone I've ever challenged to prove it, prove otherwise has been unable to do so. But as we'll get into later, there's still a significant number of people, despite VAR overturning that, who still say it was actually Atkinson got it right and Wilf dived and it was never a penalty. And that, that just baffles me. But anyway, we've rightly got back into the game um, for the incident. Yeah, perhaps we're a little bit fortunate to have got back in the game in terms of how we played in the first half. But I'll be honest, we, went, we got to the end of that and I thought on, I, I put on social media that I was disappointed with the first half but that we were more than capable of, of, of 
taken advantage of being back into the game in the second. And, and it did pan out that way. And I did kind of feel confident because there was definitely a frailty to Arsenal. And you could hear the sort of frustration creeping in, especially, you know, almost, you know, Mike, you say that the turning point in the crowd might have been that that second goal, you know. But for me, the turning point was, was certainly the, the decision for VAR to overturn the decision against Wilf. That seemed to just galvanise the team, put confidence in it. But it really, really seemed to wind up the Arsenal fans, put an awful lot of negativity in that stadium. So early in the second half, Palace started well. They they really did put um put were on the front foot, putting in proper challenges. How I like to see Palace play, it really is. And Zaha, um, obviously drawing a couple of players to him on the left hand side, sees uh, James MacArthur make the run down the left, so plays him in. Um, as I've put my notes here, Maka channels his inner Balassi. Not not quite, but <laughs> didn't didn't sort of wipe the ground with his hand and all that kind of stuff. But good feet and and you know obviously on his weaker side. Uh, gets around Xhaka and puts in an excellent cross. And, and obviously, we've talked about the what the wonderful man that is Jordan Ayew. But actually, it's a, it's a brilliant header. It doesn't look it. It looks like a simple nod, but the movement's superb before it because he's sort of hanging off the back post and there's obviously not much in the way of an option in the box. So you'd kind of think that the temptation for the striker would be to go see MacArthur's on his weak side and think that the cross that comes in is perhaps not going to be too strong across, so he'd be better off trying to get across the defence and get towards the near post. But he, he just hangs back beautifully, leaves space for others to maybe come into. And as soon as he sees that ball coming from MacArthur's foot, his movement is superb uh, to get his head on it and just nods it down underneath the keeper, which is which is a great finish. And it's just nice to see the confidence in in, in Jordan Ayew now. Um, he's just he's now a proper Palace player, celebrates the goals like he means it and um yeah just just so much time for him i really have well i mean i've got all of the uh the cv skills of a man who played as a striker up to under 11 level so i feel that uh you know i know exactly what i'm talking about when i say um his run was absolutely incredible um his header was spot on it was back past leno um in a way that it's a lot more difficult than I think it looked. But the movement, the, the, the sort of U-shaped run, obviously I know nothing about being a striker. Um, but that kind of movement, people say he's not a striker. Well, he's definitely turning into one because um, I can't remember for a fair while that we've had a, a striker with those kind of natural instincts um, unless they happen to have been on loan from Chelsea. Um, and just can't fault it. There's no way, I don't want to get into this again, but there's no way if Benteke had been on the end of that, he would have put it in because he wouldn't have made the run in the first place. He wouldn't have got to the ball. And then if he had, he'd have hit it straight at Leno. It, it's just an excellent goal. Great cross from Jimmy Mack from, from the byline. Amazing header. Yeah, Mike's spot on. And um, I want to give credit uh, to Ayu again, because again, I just think he's, like Chris, I'm just, I am so unbelievably happy for him. Um, like Mike said, I didn't think he was a a, a strike. I've seen him play uh, in France. I've saw him play for Swansea. And um, to me, he was more of a forward playing striker. But again, this is why I have to, as much as I have a problem with Hodgson, I've got to give Hodgson credit for one, seeing something in that player that I don't think a lot of people saw. And in fact, we, we signed him. And also in playing him in a role, it really gets the best out of him. And you're right, that movement is great. And again, I've had issues at times, not in general, but just in time with James MacArthur. But let me tell you, what he did, I want you to now, it's a double step over, left footed cross, back post. It's everything about that cross is brilliant. It reminds me, I'm pretty sure you guys remember, he did the same similar play last year against Leicester when I think Wilf got one of his goals or somebody. I remember he did a similar. Say again? So I'm thinking, was it Benteke from it? Was it? Right? I remember he did a similar left side, left foot. It just brilliant to beat, beat, the, beat the man, crossed over back post, someone scored. And he just is, he's again, very, he's not underrated by the fan base. But I just think there are times when I underrate him personally, but he really, when he, when Jim, Jim, James MacArthur plays, he's absolutely brilliant. And he's been brilliant the last three or four games. I mean, outstanding when Luca was out and then yesterday again. Really, really, I love the way he's playing. I'm really happy he's playing well. Yeah, I have to say I'm exactly like that with MacArthur. Every now and then I forget that he's good. <laughs> that's the best way I can explain it. I look at the midfield and, and you know I have this like we all do. We kind of 
have these pangs of wanting creativity and excitement in that in the in the team as much as we possibly can um over the kind of functionality we get like that so every time i look at the midfield i think oh where does where does max mayer fit into that team and i always think oh max mayer's got surely he's a better player than macarthur we should be picking our best players and i just forget about the job that macca does you know he's had probably in the, in the years he's been with us he's probably had maybe six or seven bad games it's just incredible how how good he is and how consistent he is and the fact that he can still pull stuff like that out is um it's, it's a testament to him and yeah, this form he's on at the moment has been has been brilliant. The second half of the Arsenal game was the sort of right equilibrium uh, between what people call utility players, hard-working players, and uh, what people refer to as flair players. Um, really hard work uh, from everyone, including Zaha. Um, you know, there's been accusations that he was a bit lazy against Man City. Absolute rubbish. It's just people, you know, watching him on the TV and not understanding what he does. But um, Jimmy Mack running socks off. Absolutely, uh, my player of the match without 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 a doubt. Um, he, he wasn't the only man um, to run his socks off, as you say. Oh, you did it. Zaha did it. Um, but it, it's really showing this season that those. Roy-style utility players um, are the engine room behind the side. And it's, you know, it's 15 points from 10 games. It's entirely because of MacArthur and Joel Ward and Ayu, you know, total less than 10 million. And that's, I mean, every Palace fan is happy to hear that. Definitely. Um, one thing I will say is the, the way we've been playing in the last few games, even though we lost against City, it's been less boring. <laughs> I have to say that. There's been a slight up, upturn in, in the sort of entertainment value as well. I think we're starting to see players getting more comfortable with how they're being deployed this season. Um, we're starting to get a little bit more meaningful possession and just play some slightly better football. So, look, the positive signs are there for sure. Um, and in the list of players we're talking about, did well. I do think I was I was going to give my man of the match vote to Wilf, but I do think I might have talked myself into a James MacArthur vote, I have to say. Um, but I also want to give a quick shout to Joel Ward as well, who, you know, I, I pretty much wrote off at the start of the season. Um, but I think we've, I've, I've said this over the last few weeks, but more, even more noticeable um, against Arsenal that it's just seemed with the more football he plays, the, the better he's getting at the moment. And um, I think he's, he's, he's probably playing as well as I've seen him play for a, probably since our first couple of seasons in the Premier League. Um, He's really has got his form back, and we we do definitely need another option at right back. But I, maybe that's now just to push Joel Ward on to to even better things because he's been very very solid. And as I say, the sort of defensive frailties that concern me the most have started to fade away, and his involvement up the other end of the pitch is starting to get more meaningful. And, and long may that continue too. So anyway, that's um, our long <laughs> long review of the game. So just a couple of other quick discussion points before we leave you. Uh, to the first is to talk about the um, stats from our friends at URF. Um, if you go to our Twitter, our tweets and our Instagram, we tend to put some images out from those guys um, as soon as we get them. So there's some preview stats of, of the upcoming referee and then the referee performance is judged and various incidents are voted on after the game. So that's U-R-E-E-F, URF. <laughs> Um, so I just wanted to use that some stats there to kick off a discussion, discussion about VAR. We have already talked about the uh, Zaha penalty, but just to give that another quick nod, it was only on the voting stats, which are obviously going to be distorted by the bias of you know, the opposing team, but it was only 59% of people voting that agreed that the Zaha penalty in yellow for diving was correctly overturned. I just thought that's incredible, I think. You know, is it, I suppose sitting on this side of the fence, it does it does seem perhaps more odd than than you'd think. But there surely can't be forty one percent of people who still think that that was a dive and not a penalty, right? That's just nuts, absolutely nuts. And it does does show you, you know, what what bias and, and blindness can do, really. Um, but let's talk about the disallowed third Arsenal goal. So seventy five percent of all people who voted disagreed with uh, VAR VAR for disallowing the third Arsenal goal. So Patrick I'm going to start uh, by asking you what what was the uh, the goal disallowed for there? I don't know. <laughs> I, I'm sitting here 
Um, I've set up a little thing in my office now where I can watch all the matches and the highlights. And I'm watching it. And I watched it while you were talking to maybe five times. And I know it was called Callum Chambers foul on Luca. And I think either Luca tripped or Luca fouled Chambers. But I'm not really sure if I could definitively say that Chambers fouled Luca. Because again, that's what I heard. That was it was called for. Now, what I'm going to say is that, um, again, I'm a VAR advocate and I, I know it's far from perfect. I like the way that um, rugby does it. I've become a bit of a rugby fan, obviously, England World Cup, so I've kind of got into that. But I think the TMO system is better. But what I was listening to the, some of the uh, rugby stuff and they were saying the first year it came out, it was awful. People hated it and it took a while for it to become, you know, what it is now. And that people across the, you know, sports say that the rugby way of doing it is the best. And I think that's what VAR has to go to. I think... No using a monitor is a big mistake. Well, I don't know why Premier League doesn't use it. They use it in MLS over here. Germany uses the monitor. You go over, you look at it. So I think what happened is I think they went from setting a real high bar like a week or two ago and they set a really low bar. Because I'll be honest with you, I think a week ago that would have been called a goal. So I don't know how they disallowed that goal. I'm very happy they did. And like you just said, I think VAR has been our man of the match about three or four times this year. But I just think that that was a strange call. I, I Again, I'm looking at it again. I cannot see exactly what it was called back for and if they had called it a goal i could have sat here today and said to you you know what it was it was a goal so i'm glad they called it back but i'll be honest with you i'm not sure why i don't think anyone's sure why uh just want to cover those um uref uh stats about what people thought i, I reckon it's best just to quote see behind um from Peep show when he says you can't trust people. Um, people like Coldplay and voted for the Nazis. So I mean, <laughs> um, that that sums that up. Um, we we we're very lucky uh, this week in that there's been such a um, a huge um, public uproar about VAR not turning stuff round um, and it being um, you know referees boy club boys club um, and um, them sticking up for their mates. So. Um, we happen to be the flagship game for them doing the polar opposite. Um, but having said that, I wouldn't trust um, Martin Atkinson any more than the people in, in, in those votes because he was having a shocker. Um, so it was probably worth, by that point, just overturning all of his decisions just because it seemed like the better thing to do, uh, to be honest. Uh, and I watched the United game and I, the Daniel James penalty was a joke. I mean, there was no way it was a penalty kick. So... I'm glad they missed it. But the point is, again, like Mike is saying, I mean, Atkinson had a shocker. There were shockers all across Premier League this weekend. They were really bad. So this is going to cause an uproar, and I get it. And they're going to go back, and they're going to have to change it again. But again, I think VR is a good thing. But the way it's being done now, it's going to just lead to, again, you know, you talk decisions before that were poor, and you argued, now you can argue about VAR, but just that they just become the, 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 the whipping boy or stick. But I just think that it needs to be tweaked quite a bit before it gets where it has to be. Yeah, I think they'll find a balance eventually. I think the the rugby analogy is an excellent one that you use, and um, yeah, you could almost talk about every decision in every game at the moment. Um, but that will that will pass. I mean, all I'm, what I will say on it is it is quite clear that at some point during that sort of that tussle, if you like, that there is a hand from Chambers on Luca's back, and there is a definite contact hooking his leg. But the problem I have in in if I'm being completely honest about it, I can look at those things and say that is a foul. But if you just sort of dial it back and look at why that's happened, so Callum Chambers sort of uses Luca to steady himself after I think, I can't remember who he is on the other side, it might be Cahill, but whoever's on the other side is already giving him a shove. So he's just actually steadying himself on, on Luca. Exactly. And then I think Luca kind of loses the ball a little bit and starts kind of flinging his legs out a touch and he's actually he's the one who initially starts to to sort of make contact with Chambers before Chambers accidentally hooks his leg so you can argue it well it is it is harsh but at the same time if you look at the very focused moment of it there is technically a foul in there um that's me sort of stretching a little bit and also one thing I'll throw in there as well is maybe they've kind of seen that they shouldn't have allowed the second goal for that that push on MacArthur and are overcompensating potentially, but there you go. That's that's all I've got. I mean, one more point on the game, really. Um, I know we're going on a bit now. Um, the the yellow card for Guendouzi pulling over Wilf. He, he was the last man. <laughs> so, I mean, the, Arsenal can't. The fans can't say it, it all went against them. It, it really didn't. 
how he didn't get a red card, I've got no idea. Um, so um, I felt that by the end of the game that two all was probably about right. They, they were pushing for the thirds at the end and, and did look strong and I was getting nervous, but um, I think we deserved a point. And, and as my favourite podcast, um, the Football Ramble said today, um, Palace dropped two points away at Arsenal. So... Um, second favorite yeah. podcast. Second, Sorry, second second favorite. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and just to add, uh, uh, Doozy, Come on, I mean, obvious red. I mean, I, I, for some reason, someone's playing was was showing today the five 0 win over Leicester. I guess we're playing him next week, and uh, similar thing happened like that in that match. Uh, Wolf was tackled, and he got straight red. The the um the Leicester player. So. There is no way that's not a red card. I don't know. I mean, again, I just I agree with you. I think that's just an overcompensation for maybe the VAR uh, one on Chambers. But there's absolutely there is no one going to catch Wolf, and there's no one near him. How is that yet not a red straight a straight red card? Someone maybe make a joke, but that was a rugby tackle in a football yeah, match. It was a, it was a joke. And he says afterwards that it was like it's premeditated as well. It's not even like he said afterwards, oh, he's going to go in and score, so I had to take him out. But that's a red card, then, isn't it? Sounds like it, yeah. Oh, yeah, but um, there we go. You, you know, I think Roy said it after the game. He said, you know, maybe, you know, without being too greedy about it, you know, you have to look at that and say, well, Wilf is going to go and score there. So. He perhaps should have had the three points, but again, nice to be thinking like that. Really quickly, just a couple of nods to some Arsenal stuff. We won't go into the detail I was going into in terms of. Um, I was going to draw some parallels, really. Look, you know, just point out that there's been a lot of people taking the Mickey out of Arsenal fans over their, you know, massive sense of entitlement um, and how they're sort of treating their players and all that kind of stuff. But I was going to make sort of do a little discussion about. Well, look at how our support base has been of late and in some areas do we think perhaps that's the road we're heading down but we'll leave that cautionary tale for another time um i was also going to talk about uh Xhaka and when he got substituted and how i have a quite a lot of sympathy for him and how he's been treated and some various different rumors about uh people throwing stuff his way and talking about his family and making death threats and all this kind of stuff just how poorly he's been treated and, and i don't mind a bit of a bit of a grief back at the the fans if they're, if they're abusing you personally um, you know, yeah, he's the captain, but it's, it's not great. And do you remember Shefki Kuchi when he got angry and, and gave some to the to the crowd, and later on started scoring goals from us and became something of a little a cult hero there. So you know, don't write people off. I vaguely remember a certain Frenchman and a kung fu kick after a bit of abuse at Celeste once as well. Um, I, I I do feel sorry for Jacko in as much as I can feel sorry for any man that's on a hundred grand a week. Um, with a happy newborn baby, um, but uh, I, I don't, I can't see a situation where there'd be many other sides uh, in the country who would treat their players like that. I, I vaguely remember a bit of booing for Benteke last season at Selhurst, and, and we were very quick to to round up on on the few people that had done that. Um, booing your own players, I, I just don't get it. I, I don't see why Arsenal fans, Everton fans, do it. It, it just seems stupid you're all meant to be heading in the same direction and, and that's just counterproductive isn't it yeah mike spot on i mean again the Jacques situation to me is, is awful and um you know i'm really glad and i you know you we, we may you know throw out your tweet or a comment here about a player we may not particularly like but you know I don't, i've never heard of the fans getting on hennessy or benteki or anybody even are you last year friends when they were playing poorly it's just something you don't want to do i mean it must be bad enough you know you're playing poorly and you're getting substituted by your manager and then you're hearing your, your, you know, you're hearing your own fans clap, and he's a club, he's a team captain, and then he's cupping his ears, and he he actually saw it, he said f off, and then all that frustration, I get that, and I heard about his wife having issues and all that kind of stuff, but it's something that I you, I can't condone as a fan. I mean, again, I, I get very emotional watching it on TV or even my, I'm at a match, but I can't condone that kind of abuse towards any player. It's just not even Jordan much, by the way. I wouldn't do that too. <laughs> Well, that's where you and I did. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I know. I'm kidding. I'd save it for my the private letters I sent him. I just want to make one more point on this as well. Um, perfectly fine to abuse people if you want. It's then complaining that they've abused you back um, just because they happen to be a professional footballer. He's he's <laughs> he's going to end up getting in some shit for this. But you can't be precious about someone telling you to f off if you've booed <laughs> them. Um, so. This, when you go to entitlement, that that is what really gets to me about this situation. 
No, you're absolutely right. Yeah, no, it's a discreet. Yeah, people sort of cursing his name, abusing his family. Then he, he says, "Oh, f, f off!" And then, and then they, you know, they're, oh my, can't believe you just said that to me. You're a captain and everything. Oh yeah, it's um, it's really, it's quite bizarre, isn't it? Like I say personally, I, I don't mind a little bit of bit of grief back um, if it's deserved. I think when players are genuinely not giving a shit, you know, like Patrick Bamford, for example. I think they deserve everything that they get, particularly when they come back playing for another team. But, I, you know, other than that, like you say, counterproductive to, to be your own team. Some other pleasing things. Um, that guy off of uh, Arsenal Fan TV, DT, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. So got his hat stolen. That's good. Enjoyed that. Some, uh, some fun on social media there. And the guy, the one that says blood a lot, goes blood. Yeah, troops, blood. Yeah, all that troops, all the time. Troops, yeah. Troops, yeah. First of all, that is a terrible affectation of an accent. It's not natural, is it? No, he's not actually, he doesn't actually speak like that. It's just, he's a colossal dickhead. He really is. And as I put in my notes, he makes DR sound like he's in the Royal Shakespeare Company. So, um, but that, that is a joke about the affectation of his accent, uh, just in case anyone needed that explaining. But um, very upsetting, but also very pleasing. Michael? Um, yeah, and if, if you are listening, the person who nicked his hat, um, personal thanks to you for, for that, that amazing gesture. Um, also, personal thanks to the person who's made the, um, the mock-up Twitter page um, offering a, the hostage hat back to him. Um, tell it, you know, sending periodic hourly messages saying it's still fine, everything's going okay, <laughs> not dead. Awesome. So, whoever did it, hopefully you're listening. Kudos to you. Indeed, definitely. Um, and you saw a guy in an Arsenal dressing gown as well, right? Yeah. So we ju- we just got up the steps, um, and I was uh, I was uh, with quite a large group of people, um, and then I just heard a chant of what the fucking hell is that? And just see this guy, I can only describe, he looks a bit like um, uh, Stato from uh, f- from Fantasy Football League, just walks past in a dressing, an Arsenal dressing gown, like hipster, bearded hipster in a dressing gown. And he'd obviously already got a load of abuse from his own fans because he was obviously already on edge. The moment they started singing, he's like, middle fingers are up. He's like, fuck off. So he'd obviously had entire walk around the place people laying into him apparently he's a bit of a celebrity because he was quite close to Emery behind behind him uh, and made it on TV so um, he's been a talking point today um, but yeah got him close up balls of steel to wear that to um, t- to the game hopefully it was for a bet or something um, but yeah crazy yeah, I was going to say you know you shouldn't be surprised to receive abuse I mean I wasn't surprised to receive abuse when I went to Birmingham away dressed as a penguin so you know I I did that because of a bet and um, you know I'm not one to welch on a bet but I'm certainly certainly took some abuse off of home away fans as well as some police officers as well so but you know that's coming you shouldn't get angry about it but isn't it Halloween soon? Is thinking maybe have the new Halloween coming up on Thursday? No, they're, they're, no, no there, there was no question that this man was thinking oh, about. Okay. It. This was straight up fashion statement. <laughs> I'm wearing a dressing gown out because I'm a hipster. <laughs> well, what a troubling, troubling set of circumstances. But fortunately, seems to have been dealt with by uh, mass opinion there. So, so well done, everybody. Anyway, we'll end it there. Thank you very much to uh, Mike and Patrick, and also for Sam for producing. Thank you for listening. Um, do check out the Love Sports show. Uh, that's Tuesday, 8 to 9pm on Love Sport. Also released as a podcast shortly afterwards. And the preview show will be out later in the week, looking ahead to the game against... <laughs> Why have I forgotten who the game oh, is? Leicester, yeah. isn't it? Leicester at home on the, on the Sunday. So, um, And then we'll be back to review that at some point after the game. Um, so until then, see you later. Bye. I am Chris Hambling. I am Chris Hambling. I'm Chris Hambling. I am Chris Hambling. I am Chris Hambling. I am Chris Hambling. I mean, see, change the name Chris Hambling to Mike Scott. It's the 90th minute. All your mates around. You've got your McNugget share boxes ready to go. Your mates already got booked for double dipping and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfect. 
Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.